Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to another episode of History Hack. We have someone very new and exciting for you today. Alex, who have we got on? We have Lizzie Rogers with us today. She is a PhD researcher. Uh, she looks at women's collectors, curiosities in the 18th century, country houses, museums, art, Jane Austen, reading. Now, we had a podcast on the Duchess of Portland, didn't we, and her manic collecting, which people loved. But we're going to talk about elite women and travel in the 18th century. So the women that actually got up and went, which I can't wait for. Uh, so, Lizzie, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I'm excited to talk about some of the fun things these women did. Oh, I can't wait. I really hope that they like tore the town up. But can you start <laughs> by telling our listeners who don't know, what is the Grand Tour? So I guess um, in very simplistic terms, the Grand Tour probably is the original gap year. Um, uh, you find uh, the elite that aristocracy, kind of top levels of society, um, travelling around Europe, um, young wealthy Europeans, often Western Europe, um, and the idea is to learn and improve themselves intellectually and culturally. Museums, places of interest, visit salons and libraries, but it's got this real. Um, uh, most people see it as young rich British men drinking and spending their way around Europe. I like the sound of that. I really <laughs> like the sound of that. But very fun. <laughs> isn't it just something that men did at the time? So no, actually, it's really interesting. when you go into it, many people travelled from Britain in the 18th century, not just Britain as well, but that's where my research is focused on, um, particularly women, and not even just with men. Many women travelled independently, met with friends on the continent. Um, it's a lot more of an open uh, phenomenon, so to speak. Um, it's just not necessarily seen as a traditional grand tour with the young rich men going. That is really interesting and a lot more open. So yeah, I have to ask, what? why is travel important at this time and what made these women want to go? So I guess travel meant the exchange of new knowledge, new objects and meeting new people. Um, it was widely seen uh, in the 18th century that travel was an important part of self-development and the completion of a proper education, which I, I guess is a lot of the reason why people still go and get used today. Um, to kind of grow as a person and see new things and see the world for themselves. Um, because in the 18th century, it meant satisfying curiosity, understanding history, oneself, uh, beyond just reading about it at home, or having abstract objects come into the collection of country houses, because 
they're the people that I've been researching. Um, they, I think the other thing that's really important to note is that this is very much linked to um, the Enlightenment, uh, which is, I mean, it's, it's, a bit, it's in very simplistic terms. Um, the Enlightenment meant understanding for oneself and literally enlightening oneself with new knowledge. So going and traveling and seeing these places for yourself meant that you were being really active and how you learned and how you educated yourself and you could share this knowledge with others and meet new and exciting people. Um, so it was very much part of like education and learning, but also elite leisure and pleasure as well. So how did women typically get to travel at this time? So women found their way there independently. They met up with friends and went with family. So one of the women I've been researching, um, Henrietta Firmer, who was the Countess of Pomfret, she travelled with her husband and some of their children, I think mainly because they were searching for a cheaper life on the continent because it was cheaper to be there than in um, England. Um, and following the death of Queen Caroline in 1737, she'd been a lady of the bedchamber to her. Um, they travelled all across Western Europe and she wrote these wonderful letters to her friend, the Countess of Hartford, um, and who stayed at home. So it's really interesting tracking her journey. And actually the Countess of Hartford's daughter was Elizabeth Percy, the first Duchess of Northumberland, who I think is possibly one of my favourite women in history. She's one of my favourite women in history because her, she's so outspoken and opinionated in her diary. Um, and she travelled a lot. She travelled with her family. She travelled on her own and met up with people on the continent, um, particularly after she uh, finished being laid in the bedchamber to Queen Charlotte in 1770. Um, and although I've not researched others as much, pe people went on the grand tour with their husbands just after they got married. Um, Sarah Fanshawe from Uppock House in West Sussex went with her husband and they have these wonderful Pompeo Batoni Grand Tour portraits. In fact, she has two. I don't know how she wrangled two different ones and they're both beautiful. Um, and then you've got the group of ladies from Alarond. They went for a decade traveling and then they come back and they have this wonderful house that's filled with souvenirs that they made. Um, so it's really, it's really interesting how they all find their way there and the people they meet. That sounds amazing, the 10-year jolly with the uh, scenery. I know, it'd be so cool. I'd love that. <laughs> We're going to get into um, some great stories of where these women went and what they got up to. But before, can I just ask, being women and this being the 18th century, was it dangerous and are there any horror stories? Um, I imagine there probably would be. There aren't too many in the sources that i've been reading um one thing they do do though is they do complain a lot about the typical young male grand tourists about their drunkenness and uh so i guess they're things that they've seen as they've traveled around that's not to say they weren't any horror stories um i've read i think about five or six different accounts and maybe they left them out but my favorite uh thing is that the um Council of Hartford wrote when she'd seen some male grand tourists kind of uh, ripping up the boards in one of the cities she'd been in, that most of our travelling youth neither improve themselves nor credit their country, which I think is really interesting. <laughs> they obviously think they're better and um, having a more refined time than the men that were going travelling. Isn't that always the case, though? Women are a little bit more chilled <laughs> and guys are just like, yeah, let's I don't know if you've seen some of those hen parties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is very true, actually. That is very true. <laughs> we put it all at the feet of mankind. But tell us, where did these women go? 
I, it's really interesting. I mean, I'd love to take one of these holidays and I kept joking that I would do it in the name of, you know, research and understanding the women I was researching, but I never did it. Um, so typical itineraries focused on France or Switzerland to learn French mainly, um, followed by Italy, Italy and most notably it would be Venice, Florence and Rome to look at Italian antiquities and art and architecture of the Renaissance. I mean, it's not completely rigid though, because people did go to Russia or Turkey, the Mediterranean and the nearer east, as well as Scandinavia, Iberia and Eastern Europe. And particularly in the second half of the 18th century, there's a lot more improvements to roads and accommodation and transport, which more and more people could go and they could see more new places. And one of the diaries I read was for a Winifred Constable, who's um, she lived at Burton Constable near Hull. And she went on a grand tour for two years and she didn't write much in her diary. But one thing she did write was exactly where they went uh, in sequence. So in just under two years, they went from England to France, then to Belgium, then spent almost a year in Italy. And they visited Turin, Milan, Bologna, Florence, Naples and Rome, uh, which sounds so perfect. Um, and I think also the Netherlands and Germany were quite popular, particularly the Netherlands for art as well. Um, the Dutch to Northumberland discussed this collecting art and going to see other collectors there as well. So it's quite wide ranging. They're all going across, all across Europe. What, some of, what are some of the sites that they describe? Um, so it's very much, I mean, it's very similar to I think the things we would pick out if we were going. So there's lots of galleries and museums because they want to learn about the history and their place and the history of the world. Um, and also galleries and museums for women were a kind of safe place for them to go and display their good taste, um, which represented kind of their private virtue as well. And there's some really cool illustrations of museums like the ones they would have visited um so you have these kind of cabinet of curiosities and there's a really famous picture of um one and it's called the museum wormianum which was published in 1655 um the collector was called old worm which is possibly the best historical name ever um and you can see loads of the rare specimens they would have seen um, and they're all, all their arrangement. They've got a narwhal tusk and things like that. And there's books on show, which is really interesting. And but some of the others show people in them as well, using the collection. So there's a collector called Levinus Vincent and he was Dutch too. Um, and he had a catalogue called his Wonder Theatre of Nature. Um, and he worked in conjunction with his wife, to uh, Joanna Van Breda, to construct his collection. And in this picture from the catalogue, you've got men and women wandering around this huge hall and there's all these um, like specimens out on the table and they're all in conversation. Um, and it's shown to be like a really social thing to go and learn and look at these objects and kind of immerse themselves in this history. So you go and see kind of collections like this, but then they also are going to see ancient history in places like Rome. So the Countess of Pomfret writes about going to visit the Colosseum and she writes that she's trying to imagine the gladiators fighting the animals and the thousands and thousands of people who would have been watching. And so it conveys this idea that I think we still see today as Rome being a living museum, which I think is really, really cool that they're having the same kind of experiences that we do when we travel. Um, And they... Uh, they were quite knowledgeable about some of these places and they were also very opinionated about them. Um, so when the Council of Pomfret was in Rome in April 1741, she goes to the Barberini Palace and um, I want to quote what 
she says, because I just think it's really funny. Um, she says the objects on the show were so crowded and ill-kept, they appear a heap of fine things going to ruin as fast as possible. Um, so, you know, she doesn't think they put them on display quite so well. And a few days later, she goes to another collection of um, uh, a private individual and she says that the state rooms are small, dark and dirty and they're full of, and she, this is a quote, bad statues um, and unframed pictures. And then she complains that this gallery that would have been really painted and beautiful was now covered with mould um, and emitted no very agreeable smell, saying that it did not look like the collection of a nobleman which i think is quite funny <laughs> this is like um, trip advisor for the 18th century isn't it it literally is honestly she, um i was in stitches when i was reading it and i wasn't quite expecting some of the opinions but they were absolutely brilliant they kind of remind you that, that they're real people who have likes and dislikes um when they're going and actually something she does write about in a very complimentary way that was really lovely to read is um so the Council of Pomfret, she goes to Germany when she's in Innsbruck, she goes to Ambrose Castle, which has a huge collection of the 16th century Archduke Ferdinand II. Um, and she was so impressed by the curiosities that he'd assembled and that had been built upon by his successors that she writes all this huge description of exactly what's in, I think it's 18 successive rooms. There's armour, cabinets, uh, natural history specimens, ivories, clocks, miniatures, um, minerals, antiquities, the lot. And she said that she stood there and just stared at them for ages um, because when she left Italy, she didn't imagine to travel north and see anything like that. And she didn't expect the German princes to be um, as, as kind of intellectual and as wide-ranging as the Italians. Um, but she writes that, but by experience, I find that virtue and knowledge are the growth of every climate, as well as vice and ignorance, and travelling convinces one of this truth. Um, so I think it's really interesting that she's, she's learning about all these different places and has this surprise that there's so many interesting things to see everywhere, not just on the typical Grand Tour route. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So in your research, who is your favorite person that you found? I, I would love to say that I love them all equally, but I think it's definitely the first Duchess of Northumberland. She's she is my absolute favorite and any excuse to like write or talk about her because she left behind so many pages and pages of diary and um 
full of opinions and um, really vivid descriptions as well, which is really helpful. Um, but yeah, she just seemed like such a character, which is fab, absolutely fab. So go on then, tell us all about her. Who was she? Where did she go? And what did she see? So um, she was actually a surprise heiress. So she's linked to Annick Castle, Sion Park, and they also had Northumberland House in London, which is uh, no longer there. Um, so she had an older brother, um, but he died before her, and then her father died. So she becomes this heiress, and um, she's really interested in her family history, and it's something that she's inherited from her family. If you go to Annick Castle today, they have... Um, a museum that was kind of formed by the dukes and they have all uh, they have all these really interesting bits in there about all the different successive generations that were really interested in history and collecting so it's almost like a huge family endeavor and when she was traveling across the continent she went and visited all sorts of people um, she met the philosopher Voltaire uh, in his house um, in 1772 and she writes about him that she goes with this group of friends and they have a really great time and she describes that he has a fire in his eyes I never saw in those a man of 25 and that he has slightly an entertaining uh, conversation but then at the end she writes this note that what she liked about him as well was that he walked her back to her carriage so not just that they'd had this great conversation but that he'd waited upon her right until the end um, and she loved the party as well they had people queuing out of their doors at Northumberland House in London because they just invite loads and loads of people to these fabulous parties and things so I think she would have been a really fun person to know in the 18th century is the 10-year one the longest one you found? Uh, yes, that's the longest one I've found. Um, and I think they, I don't know much about um, the Palm Interladies. Freya Gowley's done some fabulous work on Alarond, um, because it's a magical place. Um, but yeah, they um, they went as a group and kind of travelled. And I think they chopped and changed a little, um, the core group. Um, yeah, they went for 10 years, which I think is incredible, to be honest. And then they all came back and lived in one's house. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I'm not entirely sure exactly who went into the house, but it was a house that was those women and they filled it with all their kind of souvenirs and curiosities and lots of shell work and interesting furniture and things as well. Um, That's just so like beautiful. my life ambition now. Just to carry I know, I know. I just... A house full of the stuff. Exactly, it'd be such a cool place. And then when people come to visit, they're like, oh, yes, I got this in this place when I was traveling there. The women who were left behind, how did they benefit from the experiences of women tourists? So I think this is um, really interesting. It's something I got really into because the Countess of Pomfret writes this, uh, these letters to her friend, the Countess of Hartford. Um, over the three-year period she's away and the Council of Hartford stays at home although it's important to mention that she herself says in her letters that it's not her um, gender that was the barrier to travel it was her health and situation in life at the time um, but it's so interesting because um, you get all these beautiful accounts that the Council of Pomfret's written and then you get the Council of Hartford writing back um, basically she's been reading all about these places and um, she's been really spurred on to learn about them because her friend's there and she uses this really beautiful phrase that she travels only on the wings of the imagination um, and she has all these passages that she writes that basically say she's used her imagination to be there 
And she clearly thinks travel is very important as well because she writes to her friend that people who live only within a circle of a few friends um, entertain narrow opinions and unjust prejudices against whatever is outside their sphere of knowledge. Um, but she thinks that truth, good sense and reason are much the same in all places. Um, so she obviously thinks it's very important but can't go herself. So she really benefits from this discussion with her friend. And her friend who is on the continent, the Council of Pomfret, she um, focuses on all the things and she writes such detailed descriptions that they almost place you there because she focuses on all the senses and everything. And she talks a lot about objects and about people. Um, and there's some lovely little passages that show the depth of their friendship. So um, she writes that when she's in Rome and she was visiting a collection, uh, it would be endless to enumerate it. Um, and as they are engraving and will be published an account of them, if you care for it, I will bespeak a set for you. Um, so she keeps offering to send you back so her friend can share in the experience, even though she's effectively travelling. I think there's a really great phrase, it's called armchair traveller. So she's effectively travelling from her living room, which, to be honest, I didn't realise how relevant that was until now. Um, because I feel like we've all been doing a lot of that. I've spent a lot of time on um, like Google Street View and things when looking at all these places that I wish I was in, but I'm actually just at home. <laughs> I'm just wishing I was in all these cool places. Um, and there's an, another thing that she um, eventually does send her friend a set of vases that she commissions for her in Florence. Um, and when they arrived at um, the Council of Hartford's house, they're adored not only for their craftsmanship and because they've come from this place that she herself uh, can't be in with her friend, um, but also because they represent their friendship and she assures her that that enhances their value beyond their artistic merit. Um, and it shows their kind of sharing in this um, European world of collecting and, and art and trying to understand uh, all the kind of cultural and intellectual things going on. Um, it's so lovely to read, but also a little bit, I guess, heartbreaking um, to see that she couldn't have the same kind of experience because of her situation. Um, but she about the vases, she writes back, oh, I have not a room in my house worthy of them, no furniture good enough to suit with them. In short, I found a thousand wants that have never entered my head before. I'm grown ambitious and want to change my bergerie for a palace and to ransack all the cabinets in Europe for painting sculptures and other curiosities to place with them. So I guess this kind of this focus on having objects that are from these places is so important because they feel like they have a piece of them there with them. So you've read, clearly you've read a lot of different chores. If you could repeat any of them, which one would it be? Oh, that's a really good question, actually. Um, I think it probably, even though um, the Dutch of Northumberland is my favourite woman, I think it will be the tour that the Council of Pomfret took because... She just sounds to have like picked up on some really interesting things. Like she met um, a historian of the Medici family in Florence, and she goes and sees like she talks about it as if it's like an archive, and goes and chats to him about um, the history. Um, she goes and visits um, the, and I think my favourite bit from their tour is she visits the 
think it's the second ever woman to have a PhD. She's the first woman to hold a science professorship. So this is in 1741, and this woman's called Laura Bassey. Um, and the first woman to ever hold a, a PhD was Italian too, Eleanor Cornaro. Um, and I think that's probably the one thing I would have loved to have done. She goes to this Laura Bassey's house and they have this discussion with her and she comes away and she's like, this woman is a genius and um, she's so interesting and she's also very virtuous in how she uh, portrays herself. And her friend writes back to her that it would have made her so happy if she could have been there too. Um, so I think that that probably is the moment I would have wanted to be there as well as all these really interesting collections that they visited to see the things there and yeah in these rooms that they describe where they're all ta things are towered on top of each other I think it must have been so interesting. Is there any place that you've read that they went to that is not there anymore that you would have loved to have seen? I guess well, I guess some of these collections aren't there in the same way that they uh, saw them. Um, there's some of, I mean, I'm not exactly sure if there's any specific places, but there are definitely, they talk about collectors that they went to see and their collections. And I want to do some more digging to see if they're still there. Um, the Dutch of Northumberland goes uh, to a collector in, I think it's Amsterdam, um, and she talks about him and she actually talks about him more than the collection because he really fascinates her. I mean, she's a really aristocratic, like top of top level of society woman who's a collector. And she meets this man who's very rich, but he's, he made his family money from a draper's shop. And he still goes and works in there, even though he's really rich and he's sending people off to buy art and curiosities. And his collection sounds so interesting that I really want to know if it's still there and people still visit it. I mean, I imagine it's probably been dispersed now. Um, but I think that's probably the thing that I would wish was still there is all these places they saw that were like rooms after room. Um, it makes me think of going to visit the Vatican Museum where it's just room after room of amazing things. And you kind of get over, so overwhelmed walking around that by the end, you're just like, how are there so many treasures in one place, I guess. I've asked about the most exciting. I mean, you've got to have one that is, you've just read and gone, oh my God, this is so awful. This is rubbish. Yeah. This is really boring. And I wish I could get the reading over with. Tell us about that one. Um, let me have a think. I guess um, <laughs> the, they have um, a few where they're just like, oh, we've come to this collection and people have told us it's amazing and it's just covered in dust and there's nothing here of note um and there's uh, there's one actually i mean i mean the dutch of does actually say some quite good things about it but she's i think it's when she goes to germany and she's in um manheim palace and she starts saying that she likes the collections there but to be honest her collections are just as good um, I think she talks about like the ivories and things like that. Um, and I think it's in the same place. Yeah, when she visits the Royal Palace at Mannheim, where she um, she says she lists a few things that 
she sees that she thinks are quite cool. So she sees like a stuffed zebra. But then she says that was the only pretty one and says that the rest of um, the collection, and this is a quote from her diary, was a parcel of monsters. And I really want to know what she means by this. Um, you think they were just really badly stuffed animals that were all like... I think, it must have, I think it must have been. Um, she says something about this things with three heads and I'm like, well, they must have just been sewn together and things like that. But I think that's um, a really good one. But she's just like, oh wow, what is this kind of thing? Can you um, imagine if there's some weirdo collector out there just stitching bits of animals together, like taxidermy? I know that's really gross, Alex. <laughs> no, that's what I'm guessing she's on about. I, I mean, you never know. She did quite like that collection, but some of the, it just makes me laugh with phrase a parcel of monsters at the end. I just really want to know, like, what was going through her head when she wrote that. That sounds brilliant. What do you think the legacy is of these women, these adventurous women? I think um, their legacy is a lot of them did bring back uh, items and uh, collectibles from their grand tours, um, if to call them that, rather than just travelling. Um, and I, but not only that, I also think that there's. Um, I guess it's less of a physical legacy, um, but also a kind of intellectual and cultural legacy that they were um, engaging in lots of interesting conversations and meeting lots of interesting people. Um, and they're, they're participating in these kind of cultures of knowledge exchange and um, learning new things. And I think that's a really important part of the legacy as well of um, travel I mean they even talk about it themselves that you know it's opening up their opinions and um, they're sharing these ideas with each other um, so I think that's a really important side of the legacy and I think also it's really interesting when you look at these objects that are still in country houses today and recognize that it, it that the treasures in these houses are not just all bought by the young men who went on the grand tour because I think there is a little bit sometimes a simplistic idea that that's the case um, and in actual fact a lot of them um, women did bring things back and also they bought things in conjunction with their partners and husbands as well um, so example art collecting um, Bowton House in Northamptonshire um, the uh, Countess of Cardigan goes on her Mary Montague, she goes on a grand tour with her husband, so to speak or she travels to Europe anyway and they go and buy art together and it's like a, a shared interest for them and they're not, the, they're not the only case of that and I think it's, it's just really interesting to see that sometimes it's not remembered as such but if you delve into the sources a little bit and read some of these things you see actually these women are participating in some really interesting things that still impact country houses and kind of collections today. Is there anything local people can see like right now without breaking obviously lockdown rules if they've been inspired by the <laughs> podcast? Very important. Um, well, a lot of um, the Dutch of Northumberland's collection has been broken up and obviously Northumberland House, where she had it, isn't there anymore. Um, but when hopefully my favourite, Bowton House, when that reopens, that's full of a lot of interesting art and the Buclew collection, which includes Bowton and I think it's John Lamrig in Scotland and a few others. They have um, a Leonardo da Vinci painting that I think it was on loan to the National Gallery of Scotland, but I'm not sure if it still is. I need to double check that. But um, they had this Leonardo painting that the two of them bought, Madonna of the Yarn Winder, 
Um, and that's something that I think is really, really interesting and really cool. Izzy, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about some of these really awesome women, uh, not so awesome men, some beautiful <laughs> collections and some really yeah. funny stories. So thank you so much for that. No, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Join us tomorrow when expat Lawrence Robinson talks all about Finland and the kinship wars. You think that Finland didn't have anything to do with World War One and that nothing was really going on? You couldn't be more wrong. There's a lot of complicated place names, but a lot of really interesting stories about what was happening immediately post-World War One in Scandinavia. So don't miss that. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus, and we would really appreciate it, as we would love to do so. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.